hold on to your resentment. Let it power you. Okay. Dark Yoda. Dark Yoda? <laughs> it sounded like a Yoda line, but evil. That's almost like verbatim what the Emperor would say. <laughs> I know, but I didn't want to go with the obvious. So you went with something that makes no sense? <laughs> it's the evil Yoda. <laughs> everybody and welcome to Book Retorts. I'm Danielle. I'm Sam. And this is the podcast where one of us explains a weird piece of media to the other who has no experience with it. Yes, that's me, Danielle. No experience. In fact, I have so little experience, you might say I'm inexperienced. Okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> that was worse than usual. <laughs> oh, look, you try doing this. It's hard. <laughs> Nobody asked you to, Sam. You just do it. Look, I can't be responsible for the expectations I put on myself. <laughs> well, luckily for you, you have a, a minute amount of experience with this particular franchise. I Sam, have a strong What suspicion. are we doing today? <laughs> Almost certainly the last of the Janie books. Yay, the last of the Janie books. The Finally. craziest Get this and longest of, <laughs> of the books. Oh, why? No. <laughs> I didn't write it, but it is like twice as long as the other ones. Color me surprised yesterday while I was trying to put this together. <laughs> what is Madame Cooney doing? I don't know. But we are doing book five of Face in the Milk Carton, Janie Face to Face by Carolyn B. Cooney. Yeah, that's her. <laughs> are you ready for this nonsense? Sure. You don't want me to do any summaries? No, I do. Oh. I just was making sure you were ready for it. No, I'm not, <laughs> definitely not. Can you tell us what's happened thus far in the Janie franchise, Sam? No, I can't. Sorry. Well, then I don't know what to tell you. Sorry, <laughs> <Okay>. listeners. <laughs> yeah, then, no, okay. Let me give it a shot. You only do the whole thing or just the previous book? Uh, no, just like maybe the premise and then what happened in the previous book. All right. Janie was a girl who noticed her own picture on one of those missing kid milk cartons. It turns out she was potentially kid on the milk carton yeah yeah it turns out she may have been potentially kidnapped accidentally uh, <laughs> unclear uh, when she was a child and raised by her kidnapper's parents as their own child she reconnected with her previous family it was all about her reconnecting with them and having a boyfriend who was terrible where i can get to him and then the relevant part is in the last book she goes to colorado where the woman who kidnapped her ostensibly was living and she writes that person a letter, I think, and gets them out of her life without even meeting them. She pays her off. Right. She just gives them the rest of the money from some account her grandfather slash father had been using to provide for his wayward estranged daughter. Do you remember what happened to the father? Why she was in charge of the money? Didn't he have like a heart attack or two and then recovered immediately so it didn't matter? No, heart attack and a stroke. He did not recover immediately. You said the other book he was fine. He was doing better in the hospital. Um, we'll see what happens in this book. <laughs> Did he die in between books? Because no, he didn't you die. You said the end of the book. You're like, oh, he's fine. Like we, I remember that clearly. Like how much the stroke slash heart attack did not affect him in the book. Well, from my recollection of that book, which to be fair was several weeks ago, she he was doing better by the end of the book. Like okay, like surprisingly better. If that was conveyed as like better, how how like relative that meant. <laughs> Okay, well, I don't know what happened in the intervening time, but we'll get into <laughs> all the things you didn't know. 
<laughs> or didn't want to know about Janie and her life. I want to know anything that's actually interesting and not everything else that's been in these books, which is not interesting. Perfect. You'll you'll really appreciate that while this is a long book and my notes run long, we'll try our best to get through this as quickly as possible. <laughs> oh um, I skipped so much stuff, Sam. So please don't add us, okay? I know there's more plot to this book. I skipped a lot of it. Like I, half of yeah. it was unnecessary. <laughs> Look, we have editorial discretion to only share the parts we find most weird or most interesting. That is <laughs> our right. I did my best. <laughs> that is our right. That is our premise. We don't have to, we're not trying to do faithful book reports on, you know, summary, like cliff notes on every book. We're just here to, yeah. to share the weird. And while I love a good Carolyn B. Cooney book, I will let you know that uh, if I had edited this, I would have cut out like a quarter, maybe yeah. more of this book. <laughs> this, I think she might have been her, her like George Lucas phase where no one was telling her no. Like, hey, uh, maybe we should cut, like, nope, no one's going to tell her no. So she kept like, it all the in there. The series did really well. So that's entirely possible. So yeah. let's get into it. Please. It opens. With the title oh, of oh, the chapter. Oh, Jamie Face to Face. No. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if the chapter title or like a subtitle, but it says, The First Piece of the Kidnapper's Puzzle. Uh, Ready for this? <laughs> why is this starting out like a Saw movie? <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> so, it begins, quote, The woman who had once been Hannah barely remembered that day in New Jersey. It was so many years ago. And anyway, it had been an accident. <laughs> Okay, first off, once been Hannah, that's presumptuous. She probably still exists and therefore is still Hannah. Like, you may change her name or her identity in some way, but like... Not legally. Yeah, but also even so, I, I don't think that that's what this book means. Is like she went through some kind of transition. So I find that to be disingenuous. <laughs> and I think we should make it clear, since your summary was sketchy, that... It was not yeah. sketchy. It was brief. You wanted brief. <laughs> Hannah was the daughter who supposedly kidnapped Janie. Right. I mean, you didn't um, ask for then, Reeve's name or anything like that, so I didn't no, provide I was it. just let you know. Okay. Yeah, Hannah's plays an important role in the story, so I just wanted to be clear who Hannah was for our listeners who may not have listened to the first four of these, which I would highly recommend. Absolutely. So just to be clear, uh, Janie Face-to-Face is titled. does not refer to Janie interviewing herself like a Barbara Walters <laughs> self-interview thing. It refers to her face-to-face with someone else. Uh, her face-to-face with herself? I don't know, Sam. We'll find out. Okay, great. I didn't really reflect on the title until you said that very thing. No, I'm here to... to Hold up that mirror so you can reflect, Danielle. All right. So Hannah has stolen a car, which apparently was super fun. As fun as drugs, Sam. Oh. As she says. <laughs> well, you know, Hannah would know. She's the expert on the fun of Grand Theft Auto and drugs. <laughs> and apparently she had been about 30 when she kidnapped Janie, which was much older than I thought in my head. But that seems to be what the story is suggesting. I don't understand anything time-wise in this book series, to be honest. Yeah, none of that really makes any sense, the timeline. And she recalls that she didn't really know how to drive because her cruel, cruel parents had never bought her a car. <laughs> and she'd found the group, meaning the cult that she eventually became part of. The Hare during, Krishnas. The Hare Krishnas during college. And she liked it because she didn't have to make decisions. She didn't have to succeed. She didn't have to fail. Her future was kind of set. And she really appreciated that. This is a very cruel portrait of Hannah. This is not nice to Hannah. This book no. is really mean to Hannah. <laughs> not at all sympathetic to somebody struggling, presumably, with mental health issues. Oh, yeah. Not at all. Uh, it was a different time, the <laughs> mid-2000s? I'm not sure. That is a great question. I did actually mean to look that up because there's a lot of uh, Facebook and cell phones in this book. Oh, boy. And this one came out later, if I recall correctly. Yeah, this was like many years later kind of thing. 2013, Sam. Oh, so the... Mid-2010s. Uh-huh. Way ahead. 
Yeah. Wow. They uh, she really milked that series for decades. <laughs> well, it was told you very popular series. So eventually, as you know, the cult got disbanded and she found herself homeless. She called herself Tiffany, sometimes Trixie, but she goes by Tiffany for a lot of the book. That's a fun name. And she got good at lifting the quote unquote, lifting the waltz of careless college kids in coffee shops. They had too much anyway. They needed to share because, you know, college kids notoriously well off. <laughs> Also, notoriously <laughs> loose with their wallet and had carrying tons of cash. Hilarious. She ends up in New Jersey somehow in the stolen car. She's like driven across the country and she gets hungry. So she stops at a mall to get food and she's astounded by the excess of the greed. Mind you, she hasn't had to pay for anything in quite a while. Yeah, I mean, I feel like her moral outrage is not well placed. No, uh, nothing in this book is sympathetic to her she can't believe she has to pay for the very expensive ice cream because she can't shoplift it obviously (laughs) and she had to pay for gas and she can't believe the cost of that which is adorable because you know how much gas cost in 2013 versus now i would love the image of janie like grabbing a handful of ice cream and stuffing it down her shirt like she's trying to shoplift (laughs) with it not janie i'm sorry hannah i mean trixie i mean tiffany i mean whatever her name is (laughs) names in this are hard so she sees Janie outside uh, of a store. She's standing alone. And for no real reason, she goes over and she holds her hand. She doesn't really like kids. There's, there's genuinely no reason behind this. But nobody comes to get the kid. And so she knows that they're not paying attention to her wherever they are. And she feels very excited at the idea of, like, possessing something that someone else doesn't have. And she thinks this is more exciting than stealing a car. So she's this just, like, going with it. This is basically thrill-seeking behavior. Absolutely. Mm. We need like a criminal psychologist on here to evaluate how bad a job this book is doing at profiling the criminal psyche. Yes, that would be a great idea. We should do that. <laughs> okay, get right on it. <laughs> well, while we have them on, we should discuss several of our uh, books and movies that we did. That is true. We have a lot of things that probably could do a better job. So anyway, she's got this little girl. She gets kind of mad at Janie because Janie is very um, unthreatened by her and she feels like it's not fair that this person thinks that everybody's a friend and doesn't seem scared and that's not what life is like. And so she gets angry and she decides to show her that nobody's a friend and life is bad. Take Aww. it out on this little three-year-old. <laughs> Suck it, three-year-old. <laughs> yeah, I know they have it coming. So, meanwhile, back to Janie, or to Janie, I guess we're going back to her first time in the book. <laughs> sure. She wrote. She was writing her college essay on being the girl from the milk carton because, yeah, that's what you would write your college, obviously what you would write your college essay on. I mean, that's a certified, yeah, shoe-in right there. <laughs> And so in it, she talks about how she wants to escape. So she's applying to schools in New York City so that she's not caught between her two families any longer. Why don't she apply to like colleges on the West Coast? That would get you way out of there. (laughs) Way farther away than New York. No, I guess she wants contact with them, but she doesn't really want contact with them. Hawaii. Go for like the University of Hawaii. So she wants to stand alone. She wants to stand on her own two feet without her family's like constant presence there. As always, Sam, the adults are superstars. Oh, no. Are, are they all going to be terrible again? <laughs> yes. So the parents tell her it's too much for her, that she can't deal with the pressure, that she's going to drop out, and that she needs to be with people who know her entire history. Wh- which parents in this? Both sets? Both of them. Both of them. Wow. They're all trash. <laughs> I mean, I might might understand if her overprotective parents who she was kidnapped from might be a little overprotective. That would at least have some explanation. But her rich, like, Connecticut parents? Nah. Nope. All of them are are just terrible. 
as always. Which is crazy because we made a lot of strides in the last book. Did we? Another bad again. I don't think we made that many strides. They were barely in it. That's why the strides were made. (laughs) Okay. So she ends up loving New York City. She makes entirely new friends who know nothing about her. She's really private about her past life. So like nobody knows anything. Um, She becomes popular because she'd been to New York several times at that point. So she knew her way around and everybody was like, ooh, you know, I'm new to New York. Yeah, there are no native New Yorkers at her school who might actually live there. (laughs) Well, people in her dorm or whatever. She alternates weekend brunches with the families. She started to go by Jane instead of Janie because she thinks it makes her more adult. No, she should go by Janifer. <laughs> no, she doesn't go by Janifer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but that would solve a lot of problems. <laughs> Wouldn't it? Like, you have Janie, Jane, Janifer. And it mixes her name Jenny with Jane. And isn't her, like, sister named Jennifer or something like that? No. Jenny is the name of her actual name, Jenny Spring. I know Jenny, but what about and her Jody sister? Jody is her sister. Jody. I knew it was another J name, all right? Yeah, Jody is actually just about to come into the story because she visits her one day and she can't believe how different Janie is now that she's. Please. She's Jennifer. not so surly. <laughs> Jennifer is. We're not adding more names to this. You know how many names are the stupid story? <laughs> <laughs> and we have new characters. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> okay. So she's, like, super impressed by how much she's changed, and she's not this, like, surly girl that she got to know, and she seems really fun-loving and and supportive and really into her family more than she was before. And Jody comments to her, basically, Janie says, like, I like it because I'm, like, starting over. Nobody knows who I am here. And Jody tells her that she thinks it's weird that she enrolled at school as Janie Johnson if she was trying not to be known, because that name is way more well-known than Jenny Spring is. Or, or... Any other name. Jennifer Janington. <laughs> or Jennifer Janington. Jennifer Janington. Yeah, 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 that's it. Of the Connecticut Janingtons. Yes. And this is, where we get, this is where we get the bombshell that last summer, while she was moving herself to New York, Janie had to move her parents to an assisted living situation because Both her dad... Her, well, her dad, he had, she had to move her dad because of her, his stroke and heart attack. He's not recovered very well from it, apparently. <laughs> apparently, his doing better actually meant not so good. <laughs> and she, the mom has moved in with him, obviously. Aren't they her. rich? Couldn't they have, like, a, oh, a Sam, living let's nurse? Just, let's, just, let's just see what happens. <laughs> Uh, okay, I'm just saying. I need, I, thought- I need you to have the reveals at the same time I have the, had the reveals because it's way more confusing. <laughs> All right. I'm just saying right now I'm not tracking why they needed assisted living if they could probably afford in-home care. I don't know. They decided to go with assisted living, so that's where that's where she is. And the mom's um, – we'll get into it a little bit more later, but the mom's kind of struggling with that because she had to kind of uproot herself and isn't around her – your yeah, that's why everything. the in-home care might have been better. But what, well, I'm not been there. Better. I agree. I'm not Jennifer. I can't advise her parents. <laughs> You're not Jennifer. Okay. She decides after she talks to Jody that she really should put in more of an effort into becoming Jenny Spring. She just feels like maybe that's that's the direction she wants to go in life. And so as time goes on, she spends a bulk of her days, um, her like days off, vacations, all of that with the Springs. Because apparently she's incapable of balance. I like just constantly in these stories. I feel like she just yeah. she can't balance her two lives. And I don't think it's that hard. Like anybody who has divorced parents or something yeah. can usually figure it out. And she somehow can't. <laughs> I'm not saying it wouldn't be difficult, but I also don't think it would be this insurmountable task. Yeah, she always makes it sound like she has to pick one or the other. Like she's, and I don't think I don't think the adults help with this because they make her feel like they're like she's cheating on them if she goes with the other. Well, parents. the parents are terrible. We all know all the yeah. adults in these books are, are just garbage people. 
So I feel bad for her because I think the parents put her in this situation and I feel like it really probably could have been a much smoother transition had they been more supportive. Well, alas, they were terrible. So her and Reeve aren't dating right now. Uh, right Yay. now? I thought they broke up in the last book because they did remember, but at, the, but at the very end, remember, they had a little like, it was last book, I think. Yeah, where they kind maybe, of maybe. shook hands or whatever and were like, well, I, I thought guess that we could was just like friends. burying the hatchet for his abject portrayal of her confidence. Right. Well, they did bury the hatchet. So she's only seeing him occasionally now, mostly on holidays, especially because the family moved away. So they're no longer living next to him. And they're on pretty good terms. And he has made it very clear that he wants her back. And he, quote unquote, didn't know why she couldn't forgive him. <laughs> Reeve needs to move the heck on, dude. Of course, like, she has no obligation to forgive you, for one. And, uh, B, dude, move on. Like, they're just, just don't cling. To, it's so clingy and weird. <laughs> I think that she talks to him at all is a, is all he can really ask for in life. <laughs> yeah. And in fact, if I were her, I would probably stop talking to him. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing, really. Mm -hmm. So anyway, Reeve gets his dream job in the South, quote unquote. It ends up being South Carolina, I believe. And he leaves. And she's sad, but she wanted a man she could trust. And she only half trusted Reeve. I would, that's way more than I trust him. <laughs> You're going to hate this book. Uh, I already do. <laughs> Over the course of the summer, she starts to see her Connecticut parents less and less, getting it down to like once a week and it's just a brunch. And she notices once her- Once a week she goes to Connecticut? Yeah, from New That's York. That's a lot. She, I know. She sees her parent and family all the time. That's every what I'm weekend. saying. As a college student, like going to see Who them- has time for that every weekend? Right. Like I would expect as a college student, once a month would be like typical. How far is the train from Connecticut to New York? I don't know. I've never been to Connecticut. I don't know I people. went to school three hours away from my family, which was not a two and a half if you drove really fast. Yeah. And I still was at home that regular, every couple months. Yeah. <laughs> I went like, home. The whole point is to like, establish some independence and, you know, learn to live on your own, not to come back every weekend and bring your laundry with you. No, every weekend, it says. She spent like the whole weekend she spends with them. She spends like two days or something or a day with the two I think it's two days with the. Uh, New Jersey family, and then, like, the lunch with her. That's insane. Like, saying that she got it down to only once a week is, this is like a codependent relationship, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, it's wild and me too. I don't, I don't know why anybody would go, like, don't you have plans with friends on the weekend? Like, you don't have classes. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah like, the whole point is, like, doing, you're in the city, enjoy it. <laughs> Crazy. Anyway, so she notices her Connecticut mom continues to worsen. Her uh, hu husband, her father, whatever, Connecticut father being so ill, obviously, is playing an impact on that because he he's pretty badly damaged from the stroke. And I think it's funny that they said he was doing better in the books. Yeah. They, under, they underplayed the heck out of That's that. That's what I'm saying. This sounds like <laughs> Madame Cooney wanted to have a sort of happy ending at the end of the last book. She, like, and, retconned it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just like, nope, I need drama. So, like, doing better, psych. Yeah, he's not doing well at all. And it's really impacted her mom's emotional health. But to JD's credit, she wonders how much of it is, her, like, her much of her mom's condition is her fault versus her mom has the responsibility of being happy. Because her mom should start new friendships in their new home and figure out how to be, like, happy right. in a new situation. So, like, how much of it is the kids? Like, how much does she parent her own mom is basically what she's asking herself. Like, Jennifer should know that as a child, you can't be the mother to your mother. Like, yes, you should be there for them, but you can't be responsible for anyone else's happiness, much less right. your parents. And when we talked about this in the previous books, too. So mm -hmm. I'm glad to see her finally coming around to realizing that, like, it's well, not her responsibility. 
So she considers how normally she'd tell Reeve about all of her concerns regarding her mom. She but needs she's new decided, friends. She's decided not to share with him. Don't worry, Sam. She's got new friends. Mm. Okay, but not the friends that she trusts because none of them know anything about her. Anyway, <laughs> oh, the second boy. piece of the kidnapper's puzzle. <laughs> that was the first piece. The first piece was a blurb about how awful Hannah is and then a long-winded delve into Janie not separating from her parents for college They're properly. They're separate things, to be fair. Like the kidnapper stuff and then switch to a new chapter, Janie's Okay, I thought it was like supposed to be all under the kidnapper's puzzle. <laughs> no, anything that's about Hannah is under the kidnapper's puzzle. As soon as the switches to somebody else in the cast, it's separate from that. I think this book is making a cardinal sin of trying to fully explain the psyche of a one of its characters. 100%. It wants to explain everything, and it's great. You don't want to do that. You want to leave some ambiguities. You let the character exist as like, you know, people are ambiguous. They're not always clear cut. But we wouldn't have this book to talk about, Sam, and it is a great book to talk about. Okay, this I'm not so sure I would be like crying tears of sadness if this book did not exist. Sorry. That's because you haven't gotten into the middle of Hannah's shenanigans yet. Okay. <laughs> Second piece of the kidnapper's puzzle. Part two. Ding, ding. As she drives away with Janie, she quickly tires of the very peppy kid. And by the time she reaches New York City, she realizes the thing she hates most is not having a choice. Her goal in life is to be free. Suddenly, she realizes that having a kid is a terrible idea because it's just endless responsibility. (laughs) She really clued into that very quickly. This book... Is insane because it gives Hannah like no credit. Like her thoughts are all terrible, but she also constantly makes like very astute, self-reflective conclusions very quickly. Oh, I, I understand my own psyche enough to realize that having a child requires a lot of responsibility, but I don't understand my own psyche well enough to know that taking the child is a bad idea in the first place. Yeah, well, she's got some mental health issues she's struggling through, and apparently she's evil mental health issues as opposed to just what almost everybody in the world has, which is just normal mental health issues. Yeah, no, uh, <laughs> boy, not a, not a very kind book, it sounds no, like. it's not. She sees signs for Connecticut, and since apparently she blames her parents for everything, and notes that their assault on the leader of the group eventually led to his arrest and disbanding of the group, that it would serve them right to have to raise a random kid she'll pretend is hers, and they'll get in trouble for it when everybody finds out that she was taken. (laughs) This is, like, what? Can I this is the plan is wild. (laughs) This sounds like something out of a Disney villain, but dumber. (laughs) It's much dumber. So she tells Janie that they're going to play a game of pretend. Anytime Janie mentions her actual mother, Hannah plays it off as having lived in a communal group where everybody co-raised the kids. So, you know, the other moms mm-hmm. and other dads. And she tells them that she's refusing to let Janie watch TV because it's bad for her. And so nobody ever hears about the kidnapping in New Jersey because I guess newspapers are also bad for children. I don't know how they would have missed it. Also, like... I get that the kid wouldn't watch TV, but the adults can still watch the news. It's not like, no TV on at any time. Like, kids sleep. I know. It's wild, right? <laughs> like, at some point, the three-year-old would be in bed. <laughs> this is insane. Also, radio exists, too. Like, these are all things that were fairly popular at the time that this kidnapping ostensibly took place. Yeah, it's like she realized she had to keep explaining things, and she was going further and further, further into a hole. And I love it. Oh, man. And those... But I guess the <laughs> Connecticut parents are idiots for not questioning any of that. That's true. So one day, Janie is hanging out, and a nice – this is written like normal times. 19, 2013, Janie is hanging out. Okay, okay. <laughs> at her on campus or just off campus, and a nice young creative writing major comes up to her, and they hit it Ooh off. Ooh la la. 
Yes, his name is Michael Hastings. So he's all, oh, Mikey boy. Oh, Michael Haste. Because yeah. he moves quick. He likes to move fast. He makes haste. He makes haste. So no. she. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Haste. That's the worst pun I've heard, Danielle. That's bad by my standards. <laughs> I don't know. It sounded very you. <laughs> Uh, I should be insulted by that, I feel. It was pretty good for my standards. I'm terrible at puns. <laughs> I'm always impressed when I ever get one. Okay. Right. She feels guilty for having feelings for someone other than Reeve, who she what definitely is- still loves. <laughs> and the idea of him not having a future with her is is hard to accept. But she's excited about this new relationship. Good. Move on. Make haste with Mike Haste. Her roommate, Eve, asks her if he's studying at the same college, and she admits that she doesn't know. And she's like, well, you better check his student ID to make sure he isn't a creep. Look out that for her best tell? friend. I mean, students can be creeps, too. That's true. I know. It does. It's not like it says it on the photo ID. Like your ID says, certified <laughs> not a creep. <laughs> but she, just to make sure he's not making it up, I think, is what Eve's point is. Sure. Not just hitting on random college girls, I guess. Okay. So... Uh, Janie and Michael meet up pretty regularly, and he quickly learns that she won't talk about her past. And he thinks her parents are just divorced, and he doesn't understand why it's such a big deal, because his yeah. parents are divorced, too. Yeah. but And she obviously never fixed that assumption on his right, part. Sure. <laughs> so I like how she is, you know, she ended her last relationship over a breach of trust, and she's like, I'm going to start my next relationship with a breach of trust. Yeah, I mean... Yes, she needs to learn how to trust people. No, no, I'm not saying she has to come out like first things first on the date one, say, hi, here's all my baggage. But like, she should just be like, hey, I don't want to talk about my past. It's a big deal. Maybe later. Like, she doesn't have to lie by omission, by implication about her parents just being divorced. Right. And she kind of has that realization later. I thought it was going to be a bigger deal. Like that, maybe that was where the arc was going of her learning to trust people, you know, nope. outside of no, that's not what happens. Okay, great. Perfect. <laughs> So Eve doesn't really like him as the relationship continues. She thinks there's something off about him. She's suspicious of the presence that he keeps giving her. She thinks it's calculated. She thinks it's weird that she doesn't know a lot about him and hasn't visited his apartment. And he only hangs out with them and doesn't seem to have his own set of friends. And Janie still has not confirmed that he's a grad student. So she's convinced that he's like evil. Oh, he's a grad student. He's a much older man. Well, yeah. I'm not sure how old she is, to be honest, in this. Uh, you'll kind of see why as we continue, because time has no meaning in this book. Well, I mean, if this is following the usual progression, shouldn't she be like 18 as a freshman? She might even be 19 now, because uh, several years pass in the story. <laughs> okay. So, you know, that's fine. But if he's like uh, 23, 24 as a graduate student, maybe? Yeah, I'd say he's probably early 20s, and she's somewhere between 19 and 20 years old. I guess that's not terrible. It's not that bad. He asks her one day over food why she never posts anything to Facebook. No, because she's smart and Facebook is awful. (laughs) And Eve tells, not in 2013, Sam, nobody knew yet. Uh, I think we all knew. (laughs) Eve tells him that it's just a quirk of hers. She's very private. She's a nonconformist. And Michael doesn't think it's cute. And she needs to share. (laughs) Michael needs to, like, put his opinions back in his mouth. Yeah, Michael has some opinions. So they part ways. Michael's upset. And he makes their, he basically is like, you know, we've dated for a while now you should share stuff with me and they make their way back to the dorm Michael I mean it's, he's not wrong to say like for a while we should be able to share more about each other to get to know each other better but he's very wrong about making her try to post to Facebook for one because that's just not a good idea yeah I don't know if he'd be so into the Facebook thing if she talked to him 
privately right. about stuff, but she doesn't but do also, that either. But also, he has to, you know, understand that maybe she doesn't want to talk about her past and they can know each other in other ways. Yeah, who knows what her past was? I mean, her past was crazy, but, like, yeah. there could have been even worse stuff in her past. I mean, just give her some time. <laughs> like, give her, you know, <laughs> his appropriately named Mike Haste. <laughs> And I think you think he could probably, I mean, I don't know how many times they've had this conversation. Maybe they've had it 12 times and you only see it twice in the book. But, like, you could have this conversation multiple times. Right. Like, revisit it. To, like, it. ease into it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so she gets back to the dorm and she has gotten a letter. And it's from a man named Calvin Vinaset. Vinaset? Vinaset? I don't know. V-I-N-E-S-E-T-T, I believe. Mm. Let me Who ask is- you a question. Yes. Does this Calvin mention his best friend Hobbs? No. Then I don't care. Well, then we're not going to have much to talk about in the rest of the book. <laughs> all, right, all right, continue then. Fine. So Calvin is a true crime writer. No. <laughs> true crime is a pox on modern society. It's awful. It sounds terrible back then. He's chosen her as the subject of his next book, and he wants her help. Obviously, she gives it a hard pass and disposes of the letter in the hallway garbage chute after ripping it up. I wouldn't even give it a hard pass. I would give him a cease and desist. (laughs) Yeah, well, she doesn't do that. She assumes all of her friends have probably gotten a similar letter to be interviewed and wonders if one of them is going to grant him an interview. But she trusts that Reeve has learned his lesson and won't do anything stupid. That's that's misplaced trust. (laughs) Then she misses him again because she thinks about it. Misplaced missing, too. Are you sure? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely sure. So she calls her New Jersey mom to check in. They do have names. I just feel like we don't it's care. easier. I don't care. I wouldn't remember their names. <laughs> so she checks in with her. They've received the letter as well. And New Jersey mom is very, very carefully points out that a book might like that might lead to Hannah's capture because it seemed like it was going to focus on Hannah. No. What? But she, that's what she thinks. Crazy. She's She's crazy. <laughs> But she knows it would also like likely focus on them and her poor Connecticut parents as well, and she wouldn't want that for them. I mean, I'm not a lawyer, but they should be talking to one about all this because, like, your life rights are uh, uh, have value, and people can't just steal your story. Well, they haven't done that yet because they haven't even decided if they're going to grant interview soon. Okay. So she loves that her New Jersey mom is so empathetic of her Connecticut mom, and she suddenly realizes that she's really proud to be her daughter, and so and she realizes over the last year that she's kind thought of her more and more as her quote-unquote real mom and less, why does it have to be a competition i don't i don't know why she feels like she can't be the real daughter of both of these sets of parents oh jennifer you need to get to uh, some th- does anybody get therapy finally in this book no nobody is not of course not so Janie asks her if she's going to help the writer, and the New Jersey mom says it's really up to Janie. you know they'll take her lead on it as reasonably it should be yes so Janie feels like she can't make the decision right now and feels if Hannah is caught, it will turn the spotlight once again on the Connecticut parents who got raked over the coals by the media as like terrible, awful parents who let their kid run away to a cult and potentially know something about the kidnapping, you know, and we're hiding it all these years. Is this a universe without like empathy? It sounds like... <laughs> it's terrible. These characters are terrible and this world is terrible. And like the way the book writes about its characters is also kind of terrible and not empathetic yeah. at all. It's wild. I wonder about Miss Cooney, <laughs> Madam Cooney, if she has empathy, a, a, a dearth of empathy, or if she's just like trying to describe a dystopian universe. What I will say is these books, and I probably don't give a great description of them when I'm talking about, like, because I don't give it way in depth into their, you know, emotional psyches or whatever like the book kind of does they're very three-dimensional in a lot of ways and they are like definitely have good and bad qualities which you don't always see in books or in media in general you know that's fair i i yeah as we said at the beginning of this episode we we don't always we don't give the complete picture of the media we cover so i'm sure there's a lot i'm missing but 
you know, still. No, they're not likable. I don't yeah. think I don't think the world's very likable. I think the story's kind of depressing, and I think the characters are generally difficult to like in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. Interesting writing. So they agree that they'll just kind of postpone the decision for a little bit. They'll talk about it over the summer, which is upcoming. So Calvin, the writer, reaches out multiple times, uh, finally gets her email somehow as well, and is emailing her, and she ignores wait, wait, the letters. Wait, wait, He didn't try fax? No, he did not try fax or greeting oh, card, which, you mistake. know, that's... If she if he had just tried fax, it would have been fine. I bet she yeah. would have written back. Jennifer's primary mode of communication. <laughs> Especially in 2013. <laughs> With her iPhone. <laughs> With her iFax. <laughs> Classic Ivax. So come final, she buckles down to study and Michael wants to study with her, but she's promised herself to do really well in college and she doesn't want the distraction. And he doesn't understand that, I guess. And they get into a little fight and Michael He's leaves. a graduate student who doesn't understand the importance of studying? Essentially. Yep. <laughs> Is everyone trash in these books? <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> okay. Great. A world of all trash. So once her exam ends, she catches the train back to Connecticut to visit with her family. And to her surprise, Michael shows up next to her on the train. Creepy. 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 Yeah. Stalker. Got it. He tells her that Eve said that she was heading back to Connecticut, so he thought he'd catch up. No. Which is crazy. No. Absolutely wild. I want to invite myself on your visit back to your home without... No. It gets worse, Sam. It gets worse. If I were her, this would be like, ah, police, please help. <laughs> so I already thought that was like crazy when I was writing my notes. I was like, insane. No. But it turns out just after that, you find out that Eve left two days ago and didn't know her plans for the day. So and how so- did he find out? He just stalk her? Right. So she's like, basically like stares at him until he admits the truth. He's like, okay, I'm totally making up. I stalked you a little bit because I hadn't seen you in three days and you didn't respond to my last three text. Three days? Yeah. That's it? And he's, yeah. st- oh, boy, this dude's a, a, a grade A creep. Right. But this makes her feel better. No. And what? she's like, well, okay, you know, you just wanted to see me because you hadn't seen me in a couple days. That's way better than, I don't know, lying about Eve. <laughs> she should have checked Run his ID because it definitely would have said creep on his ID if she had checked it. This is not normal. Get out of this relationship. <laughs> this is like a horror movie. Like, don't go in the basement. Yep, this is the beginning of a thriller. She is well known for those. <laughs> he asks her if she's going to see her family, and she admits that she is, and then finally no. tells him a little bit about her dad, how he had a stroke, and she's going to go have lunch with them. She says that they used to have a really nice house, but they ran out of money, and they had to sell everything and move to how? assisted living. I don't know. Where did the money go, Sam? Is it hospital bills? <laughs> Didn't they have insurance? I mean, I imagine a wealthy family like them would probably have insurance. I know they're like a little bit more elderly because they are grandparent age. If his, if her, if Hannah was 30, you know, they yeah. must be in their 60s and now they're 80s? Yeah, but he'd be like, he if they're like, they would have had retirement funds and like... Yeah, it's crazy. Like, I and maybe the book set. I, to be fair, this was a very long book. I was reading very quickly. Okay, <laughs> maybe it explained it, but I swear I didn't notice anywhere in the book that told us how they lost all of their money. They were so wealthy. They were wasp wealthy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They had like generational stolen wealth. <laughs> it's crazy to me, but apparently they have no money. <laughs> Wild. So he wants to meet her parents, which I just don't. That's that's don't okay wait. to have that conversation. It's not okay to have it while you like stalked her to a train and you're already going towards 
Connecticut. <laughs> this is like, again, we, we have strong feelings on public proposals where they put a lot of pressure on people and, and seem grossly unfair to the other party. This is that kind of thing. Have the conversation, but don't like create a high pressure situation. Yeah, where she like, and not that she feels necessarily like that in the book, but if I was in the situation, one, I would no longer be dating this guy because that's no. wild. But if I, I for some reason, had decided to stay in this relationship past this point, I would be feeling so much pressure to say yes to this because he's already on the freaking train That's with my me point. To Absolutely. That's my point. <laughs> it's the worst. <laughs> he is awful. Yeah. Gosh, I didn't terrible. think she could find someone worse than Reef, but well done, <laughs> Jennifer. You did it. Wild. Okay. So he asks how she can afford to go to college, and apparently her grandma had left her a trust fund for school. Sure. And that's the only reason why. So she ends up agreeing that he could meet the parents. No. Like, here's the guy I've been dating for like two months who <laughs> yeah. stalked me onto a train. They're going to love him, I bet. The lunch actually goes really well, and she ends up sending a picture of him that she snaps off to Sarah Charlotte. Do you remember Sarah Charlotte? No. <laughs> one of her other waspy friends. <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah, who cares? It's one of her high school friends. Anyway, right. Sarah Charlotte wasn't a main friend in the other books, but she hasn't told Sarah Charlotte about Michael until this very moment. So okay. she sends off a picture to Sarah Charlotte, finally ready to admit that she's like dating this new guy. And it's like the text in it is like, I love this guy or something like that. Oh, he's, he loves this guy. He sucks better than any guy's ever <laughs> stalked me before. Yeah. And as um, kind of the lunch starts to unfold and wind down, she happens to glance over at Michael and she notices a picture on Michael's phone, which is this terrible photo of her father in the wheelchair. He's in a bit of disarray and he's, his, one side of his face has collapsed a little bit from the stroke. Mm -hmm. And she notices that he's sending the picture to someone in a text. And when she looks at the number, she realizes it's Calvin Vinicet number, so, which she's memorized because she's seen so many of his letters come through. A, how did he get that picture? He took it earlier. Oh, no. So they're in the Connecticut parents' house, right? Yeah, they're at lunch. Well, they're at the assisted living facility. So he snapped the photo earlier. I thought they were at the other parents'. I got confused with parents he went through. That's me. Point is, snake. Absolute snake. Yeah. So she realizes that Michael was basically telling her the truth on the train. He really had stalked her from the beginning. <laughs> And Eve was right all along. So she grabs the phone yeah, from no him. Yeah, no kidding. She grabs the phone from him and deletes the picture, then goes through his photos and deletes anything yeah. that he had taken of the family. And then he, she drops the phone in her purse, which I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> She's I would like, have smashed it, man. Throw it in the toilet. Well, she didn't want to make a scene in front of her parents, I assume. Oh, right. But if she doesn't dump his butt now, she has no one to blame but herself for everything that follows. Absolutely. So we get a flashback to Sarah Charlotte, like I said, her best friend forever, who was out with some acquaintances from her class in Boston. And one of the, one of the guys there is asking her a bunch of questions about JD. Like they get on the topic and he's like, oh, you're friends with the milk carton girl. Like tell me everything about her essentially. And she gets this really weird vibe from him and she decides to leave. Is everyone like, a, like did, did Calvin Vinicet or whatever like hire an army of people to pretend to be teenagers and infiltrate all her friend groups? Because that's insane. Yes, baby. We'll get there, Sam. <laughs> no, no. Like, this has got to be illegal. So, <laughs> lunch finishes up back in, in Janie World, and she gets this from Jane of hers, and she gets a text back from Sarah Charlotte being like, dude, something's wrong. This guy is the same one who was asking me all these questions about you, like, last week or whatever. Oh, no. He, oh, no. So, they leave lunch. And Michael asks for his phone back after they leave, which I think is funny that not once during this entire thing does he look over her and be like, why did you take my phone? <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't even ask after she like does that. She's like, can I just have it back? He doesn't even ask then. 
No, like nothing seems to happen. Like she's, I don't know. They don't show any conversation between them. After she just snatches the phone out of his lap, out of his hands, and like deletes everything, puts it in her purse. There's this no would be my next step if I was Jennifer, <laughs> Jennifer. I would get a restraining order against Calvin and Mike and anyone else that this guy's affiliated with because this is absolutely bonkers. Yeah, well, she's not going to do any of that, Sam. Because so- <laughs> I'd be too reasonable. <laughs> So he asks what she's mad about. And she's like, you're doing research for Calvin Venisette. And first off, I deleted my contact out of your phone. So you no longer have my number. And secondly, I deleted all the photos and don't ever come near me again or you're going to be in trouble, essentially. I mean, I'm glad she tells him off, but she really should bring like legal paper into this because it seems like Calvin is not the most boundary respecting person. I would agree with that. But alas... Alas. I guess they didn't have lawyers in 2013. Alas, alas, their rich parents <laughs> didn't know any lawyers in Connecticut. <laughs> They're not rich anymore, Sam. They can't help her. Oh, all right. So he's shocked by this revelation that she knows that he's doing research for Calvin Vincent because he didn't realize that she had caught on. He just thought she didn't like the picture. So she like took his okay. phone. Okay, <laughs> he's also a moron. So he's apparently getting paid by Calvin as a researcher since, quote unquote, not everybody in the family is cooperating. And then he tries to double down that he really does love her. (laughs) He doesn't understand why she's so upset. Why is everyone in these books like this is they're all robots. They're all androids, like badly programmed by aliens to imitate humans. They're all idiots. Okay, I rarely agree with you. And do we say that because we say that a lot and stuff, but it does make a lot of sense that everybody's an android. But I genuinely kind of think this is like some weird android, like like, TV show that we're like reading a book version of. I know it's a running gag between us that, like, all, you know, characters are androids. That's why they always make decisions that no human being would make. But this is, like, legitimately, if this turned out to be, like, a holodeck program, I would not be surprised in the least. Yeah, 100% agree. Because everything is just a little off in these stories. And these people don't react in, like, the the weirdest ways. (laughs) So she realizes that she gave up Reed, quote-unquote, for someone who is dating her for money and fame. And she just thinks it's, like, the stupidest thing ever. You didn't give up Reed for him. Like, they're unrelated to each other. You just yeah. got, like, two trash people in a row. Go for the third. Go for the gold, Jennifer. <laughs> yeah, third time's a charm. Hopefully. It can't be worse than these two chuckleheads. <laughs> so she leaves him at the train station, and as she's waiting for her train, Reeve calls. And she realizes that Reeve is deeply important to her, and the radio thing wasn't worth losing him over. Yes, it was. He's, he's a changed <laughs> man or whatever. No, he isn't. <laughs> I think you <laughs> We'll get here. Hello. So she picks up the call, and Reeve is like, Sarah Charlotte just called me what in the world is going on and he asks if he needs to kill someone for her the answer is yes but also (laughs) you stay away from me so she realizes that he knows about the book too he got one of the letters during their conversation and he says that everybody got a letter but nobody's talked because they know how she feels about it and she thinks back to michael's comment that not everybody in the family is cooperating so that obviously suggests that someone in the family is cooperating that is how the implication works Mm-hmm. So Reeve asks where she is, and she's like, well, I'm at the train station. And he, she doesn't, she's not quite sure what she's going to do next. And because first he betrayed her, Reeve, yeah. then she falls in love again, and that guy betrays her. I mean, love, it's only been like, what, a month, two months? A couple of months, like, yeah, yeah, I yeah. Two months, three months. Oh, teenagers, they love maybe, so hard. Maybe longer. I don't know, but I think it's only been a couple months. Okay. So Reeve is like, I swear I grew up. It was the worst mistake I ever made. I want you to come down for the weekend. And he ends up booking her a flight to South Carolina. I mean, it'd be nice to get her away from Creepazoid here, but uh, I'm still like, I guess 
Reeves trying to make better, fine, but also, like, she shouldn't dismiss the radio thing as a nothing burger. Okay, yes, I agree. However, this is also where we find out that apparently it's been two years since that happened. Okay. Because time has no meaning in this book. And while I don't think that that, like, absolves anything that Reeve did, and, like, I do hope he's become a better person, two years is a long time. Like, I feel like a lot of resolution and peace has probably come in the two years, but you get it in a quarter, like... I don't, not even a quarter, like a seventh of, seventh of a book. <laughs> right. So, I mean, I guess if he had spent those last two years atoning and demonstrating his change, that could have earned forgiveness fine. Which seems to be the case. At least that's like, this. she writes very, um, I would say, tell, not show mm. the way that she writes. And so we've been told multiple times that Reeve has changed. Not necessarily right. shown that. I guess I'll ease up on the Reeve hate, but I'm not 100% out of the woods yet. <laughs> okay. So... The fourth piece of the kidnapper's puzzle. The fourth piece? What happened to the third piece? I'm skipping some because some of them were really boring, Sam. It had nothing to do with anything. <laughs> and also there's like a million of them. Can you, can you just like... It's a really big puzzle. Get, yeah, you can be a really big puzzle with pieces. Basically. Just give me like one sentence about the third piece. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't remember, Sam, to be honest. Okay, perfect. Great. Not important. Let's move on. A lot of them were like the little pe- The ones that I skipped were often like... Hannah was working at a coffee shop and was thinking about them, you know, kidnapping. And that was like the gist of it. Like it was like a page, you know, like I was like, I'm not putting this in there. It doesn't add anything. Fair enough. All right. On to the third piece, which is the fourth piece. Right. Fourth piece of the kidnapper's puzzle. I meant to tell you up front that I was skipping some. Sorry, listeners. Sorry, Sam. That's fine. You told me you were skipping stuff. I just didn't realize they're all the puzzle pieces. Yes. After the kidnapping, Hannah wanders a bit, but ultimately settles around boulders so she can collect the checks from her dad. They don't last as long as she anticipated, and when she finally decides to call her dad to demand more money or she'll take the kid back, she finds the number is disconnected. (gasps) Oh, no. All right. Guess, Guess what happens next, Sam? Does she go to Connecticut? No, it has nothing to do with Hannah. That was all. Oh. That was all. That was the piece of the puzzle. Oh, that was the whole puzzle piece? Great. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Uh, Jennifer reunites with Reevington. No, we finally get to hear about Brendan. Brian's lacrosse playing twin. Yeah. No, you, not lacrosse. Didn't we establish he was playing curling? Curling. Okay, I can't remember because he really plays basketball, but yes, <laughs> curling. <laughs> and I wrote lacrosse with a question mark because I could okay. not recall what we decided. All right. On to curling. Okay, now I'm excited. Let's do this. So, Brendan, kind of a tool, apparently. Well, who isn't a tool in this book, Danielle? <laughs> yeah, he's but much more uh, aggressively so. Oh, no, because doesn't his, like, nerdy brother who went with her to Boulder, like, kind of like, establish himself as, like, independent from his brother? You'd hear almost nothing about Brent, Brian in this book. It's Great. hilarious. Why do we spend so much time with all the tools? <laughs> I don't know. Brendan. Because he's plot. It's plot relevant, Sam. It's plot relevant. What is this book? A shed with all these tools? Uh, eh, I eh, see you did there. Uh, so Brendan. <laughs> Brendan's great at sports. He wants to be famous, and his kidnapped sister coming home affected him pretty much not at all. He so he's the one unvolved. telling the story to Calvin, isn't he? Uh, we'll get there. Okay. Oh, Brandonton. So he was pretty stoked when they moved to get his own bedroom because previously his twin had been holding him back. <laughs> and the book says he wanted success more than he wanted kindness, which I thought was actually a pretty great line. This book, like you said, tells us it makes a lot of really harsh pronouncements about his characters. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of fun reading, but it is like a very different writing style. This feels like a like a teen's blog about their school friends. <laughs> 
So senior year comes, and to his surprise, he doesn't get courted by any, what was it again? Curling, curling coaches. <laughs> oh, I thought you meant like late, like, no, no one, like, he wasn't like, why are these women flocking to me? I'm <laughs> well, I don't best. think that's happening either, because you hear nothing about a girlfriend. He or a boyfriend get, or whatever. Or, but yeah, but I, I don't know. I'm not wasn't sure Brian, it ever makes sense. Isn't Brian gay? I do not recall. Didn't that cap? Did that didn't come out one of the books? Am I am I, I wrong about that? I don't remember. I'll be honest. There's been too many books. Sam. I could be thinking of another story about Kim for one of them's gay. Sorry. He doesn't get offered um, athletic scholarships, which surprises him. And he wasn't even accepted at a Division One school, the Division One curling, curling school, school that, yeah. of his choice. Winnipeg. Yeah, obviously Winnipeg. <laughs> his mother points out that he never studied, so that doesn't seem surprising to her. And he gets real bad and wants to leave his family forever. <laughs> Good riddance. But also, like, dude, this is what you get for going to curling. Like, it's not a huge sport. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I love it. I would love it, but there's just not a big market for curling, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, he should have chosen something better, like basketball. No, not even basketball. He's something better, like um, horseshoes. <laughs> yes, really well known in the uh, college leagues. Or biathlon. He does the biathlon. There you go. <laughs> so he does get accepted into a college. It's just a terrible college. And his first year on his crappy college team, the coach benches him and he shouts at the coach that he's better than any of them. And his coach tells him he could be better, but he's not. <laughs> Which is valid. <laughs> Such a good line. <laughs> He blames his parents for being so supportive and telling him that he was great. It's all their fault that he has big dreams, <laughs> and it's their fault he's struggling now. Okay. I, I'm not going to say that parents should, you know, just lie to inflict their kids' egos. They should give them realistic assessments of their abilities so they can know where they need to improve and how to be better. But also, like, dude, you're an adult. Take some ownership. <laughs> and there is a little bit with his mom that you see into her head about how she kind of feels like she maybe over supported him or you know was hoping for the best but didn't really ever think he was going to make it and so she feels a little bit bad about that but she feels like he needs to take responsibility for some yeah, yeah, actions yeah. <laughs> like i'm not saying it's like all one person's responsibility but dude come on absolutely agree so that's when he gets the request to help with the book and he realizes he doesn't actually know that much because he was paying absolutely no attention when it all went down oh, actually he's one of those people who is too ignorant to be dangerous yes but he has nothing better to do and he's depressed about his life. And so he's like, sure, whatever, I'll help. Does he at least negotiate some money? I think he gets a free dinner out of it or something. What a loser. <laughs> so meanwhile, Stephen gets, Stephen, the other brother, gets an email telling him that they found. The Colorado brother, right? Yeah. Yeah, the Colorado brother. He gets a the same email, obviously. But he then gets a follow-up email saying that they found out that the dad was sending checks to Hannah. And he's perplexed by that because how would they ever know that without having talked to one of the like three people that know, you know? Did Brian tell Bryn? Because no one of the three of them, I don't think they shared that outside of their little circle. Right. You do find out at one point that Brian actually did tell Brendan about it, but Brendan, for some bizarre reason, didn't actually mention that in the interview. So no, Brendan is not the person that this came from. Okay. So there's another betrayer in the midst. <laughs> another betrayer. This is the best part of the whole book is trying to figure out who the betrayer was. This is like Clue. <laughs> And after Janie had ended the whole money thing, Stephen actually staked out the P.O. box and sent a fake check trying to catch her because he thought Hannah should pay for what she did. But the box was closed and Hannah never showed up. Oh, so he's pro-Hannah getting thrown in jail. Oh, guys, come on. I mean, I'm not against someone facing repercussions, but like also maybe do what's best for Janifer. 
And I think, like, it's not like no effort was put into trying to find this woman, but she's, right. like, homeless, essentially, or, like, theoretically, you know, as far as they know. They've lost all track of her. You kind of, like, just got to let it go at some point. Yeah, it's not like she's, like, living to luxurious life and, you know, living it up and you're trying to bring justice. It's like she's had a pretty terrible life. She has mental health struggles. Like, the best thing is just sort of to, to help heal the people you can. And I feel like is a tell-all book better just is like worth it just so that you can catch Hannah? That's questionable. I mean, even if, I mean, it, that assumes it would even succeed because it's not like the newspapers didn't cover the story extensively before. Right. This uh, book posits that yes, a tell all book would somehow find Hannah. <laughs> It's like all those idiots on like Twitter or Reddit who are like, oh, I listen to a true crime podcast. I can do a better job of tracking down the killer than the police or whatever. And then they end up always picking the wrong person and harassing them until their life is miserable because they're terrible at their jobs and they just jump to conclusions. Yeah, it's it's pretty wild. Mm -hmm. So this is where we find out that apparently Stephen is also still dating Kathleen. Not Kathleen! <laughs> They stopped dating for about a year, but Kathleen talked herself back into a relationship with Stephen, who's like half-heartedly in it. <laughs> Stephen, A, a year is a long time to be broken up. You could have just like cut it off there and found someone else. Why and B, why is Kathleen so into this? I don't know, because she's really into his life. She seems to creepy. love him, but you know that she's like super into the kidnapped situation. It's so creepy. All these people are creepy. <laughs> But he won't let her move in. He won't let her spend the night. And Kathleen says at one point that he thinks he loves her sometimes, quote unquote. And I feel like, Kathleen, you're better than that. Get out of that relationship. And Stephen, right. you're better than that. Get out of that relationship. Like, clearly, this isn't working for either of you. Why are you forcing this thing that isn't? That's really weird. So the weekend with Reeve goes well with Janie. He returns her to the airport. And though he's obsessed with his job at ESPN, he finds himself uh. really... He finds himself really sad that she's leaving and not looking forward to going to work like he normally would be. Maybe he could use his ESPN connections to help Brendan get a curling related gig. <laughs> yeah, maybe. So if there were more books, we'd find that out. So they begin <laughs> to part ways in the airport, each distraught the idea of having to leave the other. And finally, Reeve calls out to Janie. She assumes, like they're across the airport, she assumes he's going to invite her to come back. Instead, to her surprise, he yells, Janie, will you marry me? No, no. What did I just say about public proposals? <laughs> I what know, did I great. just say? <laughs> I was so excited you mentioned them. <laughs> Gah. The entire airport turns to look, look at her and she yells back, Yes! And everybody no. claps. No! And it's just the best thing ever. See him? She's like 19. This She's is 20. She's 20. Okay, whatever. Still, like, <laughs> you're not even dating this guy again. You've, you've spent one weekend with him after essentially being broken up for... No. No, no, no. Bad. <laughs> Bad, bad choices all around. It gets worse because he wants to get married, like, right now. You want to go to the courthouse and just do a quickie? Well, they plan for six weeks in the future. Terrible. Yep. And she's excited about moving to South Carolina because it's, like, far away from everybody. So she's going to drop out of the New York school and transfer to South Carolina? Yes. Or is she just like, I'm a wife now. I don't need to go to school. A little bit like that, but she is going to go to school in South Carolina. Oh. <laughs> was always kind of her dream, Sam, was the like, yes, yeah, life, I remember, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. All right, the sixth piece of the kidnapper puzzle. Okay, I don't need number five. 
Yeah, we skipped. <laughs> Some of them were really boring. <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not judging. I'm just trying to keep track of where we are on the on the puzzle piece hierarchy. They weren't actually boring. They just did not further any plot line. I got it. So Hannah watches the whole kidnap thing unfold on the news. She was glued to the TV. And she was like when Janie became known. And she was also annoyed that they didn't mention her more. Uh, she oh. came, I know. She came close to calling up the reporters because she wanted them to be clear that she was the victim, not Janie. Her parents had been so awful that it was their fault she kidnapped a child. <laughs> so, uh, Meanwhile, Brendan is enjoying his time being interviewed. I bet he was attention-seeking Brendan. Yeah. At least he did the first one. He was kind of nervous about the second one that he had set up because he was out of things to say. But he really wanted another free dinner, so he pretended like he knew more. (laughs) Okay, great. Well, I don't think he's lying specifically to them. Like, he's not making up things. He just was like, I don't know what I'm going to talk about because I've already said everything I know. So at the dinner, the interviewer mentions the checks, and Brendan wonders how they found out about it because he had found out from Brian because he, like... Tried to beat him up or something, and Brian finally told him. <laughs> oh, good guy. Real good guy. <laughs> something like that. I don't know. He, he basically forced it out of Brian because he knew something was up. But he hadn't actually told the interview about them yet, or I don't know if he was planning to. And so someone else in the group must be talking. So he's running through the people in the family in his head, and he's getting the feeling from the conversation that it's maybe a woman, just the longer the interviewer talks. But he's ruling out Jody, who's apparently in Haiti on some kind of year-long trip like a missionary trip. And he wonders if maybe it's his mom, but he can't imagine what she would get out of it. Obviously, she has kind of held the held it over the kidnapper but like she doesn't want all the drama of that of the book coming out sure and he's a little sympathetic to hannah because she probably thought that she was going to be special too and it turns out she's a dud just like him oh boy let's not psychoanalyze hannah by brendan (laughs) i really i kind of thought that was going in a different direction the story plot and it did not go in the direction i thought it was going in (laughs) You mean the interesting one? I don't know. What, where, what interesting thing do you think is going to happen? I mean, if this was like him, here's what I think would be the best way this could happen. If it turns into like a protege thing where Brendan <laughs> becomes the next kidnapper. <laughs> That's like, kind of what I hoped was going to yeah, happen. Yeah. See, you and I think got the same idea. We want this to be like, he's going to become the next one in the cycle. He wanted to feel special. And now he's going to do what Hannah did. Like, I admire Hannah. It's like the, you know, the, the copycat crime kind of thing. Yeah, I thought he was going to be like more involved somehow in Hannah's story, and it's he's not as involved as I thought he would be. All right. Um, meanwhile, back this book jumps around a lot. I'm sorry. Meanwhile, back with Stephen, he finishes reading his email, and it turns out that the interviewer wants to meet with him. They found a clue, quote unquote, and Kathleen really wants to go with him because she's Kathleen's kind of awful. <laughs> All these people have the worst dating luck. They do. Truly, truly do. The interviewer thinks that he's found three possible women who match the description that live in Boulder that have unclear backgrounds. So it could, like, one of those three could potentially be Hannah. And it weirds him out that she could be living in the same city as him because he kind of assumed she moved after the checks stopped coming because it's an expensive area to live in. But maybe she hadn't. So he decides he wants to meet with the interviewer and get the information. And Kathleen is excited because she's invited along. Why did he invite Kathleen? Why? <laughs> I don't know, Sam. <laughs> Every decision that a character makes in this book just seems wrong. Agreed. 
So Janie is visiting Reeve again, and his mom calls, having found out about the marriage through some videos he posted. He hasn't got a chance to tell her engagement or did they get married? Whatever. No, the actual engagement. Okay, I'm like, did skip the, we skipped the marriage. <laughs> I would have been really upset. Because we skipped prom, and I will not forgive the book for that. Yeah. And his mom's not supportive. He's like, She's like, you yeah. guys are real young. <laughs> yeah. Listen to your mother, Reeve. Reevington. Reevington the third. And in the same kind of time period, he also finds out that his boss, one of the reasons his boss hired him was because his boss had gone to Boston for some games and had heard one of his live Janies on the air. Oh, no. And his friend had taped the rest and because he was so interested in them. And so apparently he has like copies exists maybe somewhere. And you'd oh. think that'd be a bigger deal, but it may or may not be, but we'll see. <laughs> that seems like it would be a huge deal. So he wonders if he has to tell Janie now in case someone else does first and if it'll ruin their engagement or their marriage. This is why you maybe should have had some conversations before getting engaged there, bucko. And also, Reeve, we've already learned about keeping secrets and doing terrible things. And That's right. Not telling <laughs> your future Where's that new things? leaf you turned over? <laughs> you know, you're going to turn that leaf right back over, it sounds like. <laughs> So Brendan, meanwhile, at his second interview, asks the researcher if he can read the book portions that have already been written, because it sounds like a couple of chapters have been drafted. So this is just a random researcher. Okay, it's not Mr. Calvin... It may or may not be Michael. We can call him maybe Michael if you'd like. Maybe Michael. I think there are three researchers, but it's unclear sometimes. We'll call them Michael one, two, and three. (laughs) So this is one of the maybe Michaels. The researcher reluctantly shares them, and while Brendan expects it to be more of a journalism style thing, like a lot, not that he's read a lot of Trudeau, it's totally sensational. It's really dramatic. It's painting the Connecticut parents as like so terrible that they damaged Hannah to the point that she was forced to flee to the safety of a religious order. Why are they? (laughs) Like, do they talk to Hannah to get that story? What's going? I have no idea. We don't know anything yet. He sees it's titled The Happy Kidnap. And he's like, what the heck is this? <laughs> this I mean, if I was Calvin, I knew that I'd be sued for libel almost immediately. Yes, you would think so. Yeah, because that is libelous to say the least. So he realizes that while he kind of thought he hated his parents and his family, he doesn't actually want to see them hurt. And the book is obviously not painting Hannah as the enemy, but the parents of the all the kids, you know? The parents are all terrible for their own reasons, but that's not... But not for these this, reasons. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so he realizes his mother could like never be behind this and that he, they must be speaking to someone else or it's all made up. It's got to be one of the two options. Uh, Probably all made up or they're talking to Hannah. Seventh piece of the kidnapper's puzzle, Sam. All right, they're talking to Hannah. Fine. Nobody said they're talking to Hannah. And I'm, I'm not assuming. Tell you. Hannah skips work the day the made-for-TV movie comes out. She's very curious who will play her. Oh, I forgot they did that. <laughs> to her surprise, she's not even mentioned in the movie, and the movie was very sympathetic to the parents. <laughs> also, like. I forgot that movie came out, A, and B, if that didn't help catch Hannah, the one of the book, and C, I certainly hope they all got paid for that movie. Probably not. That's, <laughs> That's why they wouldn't run out of money for the assisted living facility. <laughs> again, that can't be legal. You can't just make a movie about someone's life without their permission. I don't know how that works, Sam, I'll be honest. I'm not a lawyer. Again, I've made that very clear. I don't even understand how basic copyright laws work because I'm an idiot. But I I just feel like... They're confusing, to be fair. Yeah, but I feel like people have life rights. Like, you have to sell your life rights, and that's why you can't just make a movie about any random person you want with, without their permission. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how true that is. I mean, I guess there are, like, documentaries you can make about people, but 
I still feel like, yeah, I don't know. That's like a made for TV movie is a different beast. I th- I don't know. I feel like people can write about other people if they want to. But sure. you could just sue them for slander or libel or whatever the right. written one is. <laughs> yeah, no, that's sort of my point. Like you really open yourself up. And I, I think there's also there's gotta be like some control you have over your, your story, some ownership you have. You like, would hope so, but I don't know if that's true. Because let's say you uh, all you have to do is write it down first and then you have copyright over your own story. <laughs> So everyone should be journaling their lives so they can prove they have copyright over their lives. On it. Great. Okay. A few months later, Hannah's featured on America's Most Wanted. She likes that a bit more because it at least features her. <laughs> but she Does doesn't understand people. It doesn't seem to understand people. <laughs> but she doesn't like the reenactment bits or that they call her a criminal because she doesn't think she's a criminal. <laughs> I don't understand how she could think she's not a criminal, but here we go. Well, because she's in a space of mind where she doesn't think it's that big of a deal, and she was a victim in all of it to begin with, so. Well, my mistake, right, of course. And Janie kind of deserved it. You know, three-year-olds. She did. Screw them. <laughs> three-year-olds. They're too cocky. We gotta take them down a peg. That's what she says. She's really? like, this kid is too happy. I'm gonna ruin her life. <laughs> Oh man, Maybe literally I- what she does when she take when she kidnaps her, she's like, "This kid trusts too many people. It's not how life is." Maybe this book understands people better than I thought. <laughs> no, seriously, if my joke is the actual place this book gives, that's telling you something. That's basically what the conversation is in her head. Wow. <laughs> Back home, Janie tells her New Jersey mom that she's getting married and she wants to Yay. be married. As Jenny Spring to start her new life, change Not her as name. Jennifer Jarrington. <laughs> Jameson, no. <laughs> Jennington. Uh, her mom is shocked, but, and, you know, it does express the, but you're kind of young for this, but she's happy for her overall. And, you know, they like Reeve well enough, so they're willing to go with it. What's the advantage of getting married at this age? I mean, I understand there are legal benefits to marriage, but if you're not like, if you have no religious reason for getting married, why not just date for a few years at least and figure this out? I don't know Reeve's thing. Maybe he's just afraid she's going to take the pig back if they don't get married right away. Oh boy, lock it down, Reeve. (laughs) For Janie, I think it's a security thing. Like she wants this like happily ever after, like, Oh, yeah, like marriage is a way to happily ever after for sure. And both her parents have had really long-term successful marriages. And she's like, I want that same thing because I want okay. that. I've always wanted that security and Reeve will give it to me, essentially, she thinks. Good luck. Well, you never see them 20 years from now. So who knows? Well, because they're all dead. <laughs> the mom calls Stephen, who is surprised but happy that his mom is so happy with Janie taking on this like new identity, taking on Jenny's identity. And he realizes that he does actually want to work with the researcher because any chance to bring Hannah down is worth it. Because they no, deserve. no. <laughs> well, he doesn't know anything about the book yet. Sure, but he can just like stay out of it. Like, there's he no could. need to bring Hannah down, and no reason. Well, to leave he wants that. to. They they deserve to have a conclusion for her to, and she deserves to pay for her and their oh, family. Oh, these people are idiots. <laughs> I'm so I'm hurting, Danielle. This book hurts me. <laughs> I'm sorry. So right after that, Stephen ends up getting a phone call from Brendan, who wants to fill him in on the crazy book that he just, you know, read a couple chapters of. And uh, and Stephen realized, like, oh, maybe I shouldn't actually give this person Uh, all this information. (laughs) You think? Good job, Stephen. So they decide to make a plan where Kathleen's going to basically talk the researcher's ear off, and they're going to try to get all the info of the three possible Hannahs so they can research it themselves. Or better yet, find out who the leaker is and then, like, shut them up. Yeah, that would be helpful, too, but no. Unless the leaker's Hannah, in which case it's the same thing, I guess. So during the dinner, um, which is not with Michael, I'm pretty sure, because it's in Colorado, (laughs) Michael's in New York. 
<laughs> but it's a little unclear. Danielle, um, airplanes exist. <laughs> she pulls the laptop, Kathleen, while they're talking, she pulls the laptop that he's taking notes on from him so she can take a look. And he's like trying to get it from her, but she's, you know, playing keepsies. I and- guess Kathleen's... <laughs> Absolute disregard for other people is totally a use great here. for this situation. Yeah, yeah. Like, I believed this a hundred percent when I was yeah. reading it. I was like, "This is Kathleen to a T. Like, this is what she's good for. Somebody should hire her for like the CIA." This is the the one thing I think they get right about character in this book. Perfect. <laughs> it's wild. And so they're trying to get all the information off of the laptop, and she notices that he's got, like, people in the family listed, but he doesn't seem to have any quotes, just his own commentary. And there's a preface that suggests that everybody was happier after the kidnapping, and the true bad guys are the Connecticut parents. I'm not going to read you the whole preface, but it's in the book if you want how? me to. <laughs> no, not in, not in the least. But So how, if everyone's happier after the kidnapping, are the Connecticut parents the bad guys? Because they made everyone happier. Well, everybody except for the Connecticut parents. Parents, I guess. I don't understand. Like, if everyone's better, then they... Ha- I don't know. That doesn't make any sense. Same. I don't know. I didn't write the book. <laughs> I yeah, Clearly. I'm just saying. You're the one Basically, who wrote it, it's like the that Hannah was in a better place because she wasn't with her, you know, crazy, terrible parents that she, you know, got to join this great religious order and had a better oh, yeah, life. Yeah, and so good. So in good. A, probably in a better place, too, because their parents can't even take care of them and let them get kidnapped. I don't know, Sam. I think it's just painting the parents in a really bad light. Yeah, it sounds like it's just a weird smear piece. Yeah. So she opens up the file listed as the Hannahs as... Who named the file the Hannahs? Okay, I don't know. As maybe Michael is trying to get the laptop back from her without causing a scene in the very fancy restaurant. This is the best part of the entire book, by the way. They're doing this in a very fancy restaurant stuff like a diner? Yep. <laughs> Bonkers. I know. And she snaps a photo of the info. And maybe Michael is like, those names don't mean anything. I was just using them as bait to get you to come down here for an interview. You know, they're just people that live there. They're not actual, like, potential Hannahs. It is Tiffany Trixie in there. (laughs) And Steven gets angry and walks out. Skipping ahead to the ninth piece of the kidnapper's puzzle. Ooh, all the way to number nine. Are there, like, 50? Please let there be 50. No, there's, like... I don't know, 18 or something, but what we're a weird a bunch. number. Yeah. She gets a Facebook account, Hannah, and she sure. friend requests all the people at JD's life, but she's only accepted by Adair. She goes off by somebody else's name, Jill or something. I don't know. She's only accepted by Adair? Adair. Adair is one of her friends, one of her okay. wasp friends. This name was never mentioned before that I'm yes, aware of. Yes, it was. Sarah Charlotte and Adair were like. They're her two best friends in school. We briefly mentioned them in like the first or second book. Well, Sarah Charlotte came up multiple times. Adair did not. All right. Sure. Fine. So basically, she gets accepted by Adair as a friend. So now she can see at least kind of like what's going on in their lives and and in Janie's life because Janie doesn't post, but obviously other people sometimes post about her. And so she finds out they're coming to Boulder and she lays low, feeling it's like maybe a trap somehow. But weeks later, she desperately needs the money in her mailbox and she finally makes her way to it. And inside is a check with a note that it's her final payment. Oh. Oh, oh dear. Back with Reeve, his boss offers him a job at ESPN headquarters in Connecticut, and he turns it down because he assumes that Janie would prefer to live Jennifer. in... Jennifer. Sa- would prefer to live in South Carolina, since so she wants to Does get away. Does he even ask her? Talk to her first before you turn down a promotion. <laughs> yeah, because he feels bad not discussing it with her, and he still hasn't told her that there is some Janie tapes floating around, so good to see he's changed. <laughs> oh my god, I knew he... I, I take back everything I said about giving him a second chance. I was right the first time, never change your opinion, stick your gun yet. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, it's not going to ruin anything. What? It should, though. 
So Stephen and Kathleen decide to do some detective work with the names they got from the Maybe Michael, and none of the three people pan out. Stephen is suspicious that the writer might be a front um, for some reason. Because it like just seems made up name. Yeah, well, it's a it's a real writer. Like the person is a real writer, but he wonders if maybe the name is being used and it's being run by someone in their family or their friend circle. But he can't quite figure out who that might this be. This is so convoluted. It's so convoluted. <laughs> what is this cloak and dagger nonsense? Crazy. Meanwhile, Brendan decides to chase the angle uh, as well, looking up the writer who was reaching out to them. He gets the contact information from the website, and he looks them up in the white pages. Apparently, he's good at research. Not that he's used it to his benefit in his... He can look at, he look at a phone book. Well done. <laughs> he calls Michael, the researcher, trying to dig for some info, and Michael is up in arms because he didn't realize there were other researchers involved, and he hasn't been paid after his first payment that was made. Well, he hasn't really delivered anything, to be fair. That's what we find out later. <laughs> he, <laughs> he reflects that nothing about the book is making... This is Brendan. He reflects that nothing is making sense about the book. Not that it's about Frank and Miranda, that Janie... That's Frank and Miranda are the Connecticut parents. That Janie has been stalked, that the title's kind of weird, and that no writer would refuse to answer the calls or emails from the researcher because um, Michael says that he hasn't been able to get in contact with him, which is weird. I swear, if this turns out to be some weird elaborate shenanigans, I will be so upset. You'll find out this week on Book Retorts. <laughs> I mean, this hour on Book Retorts. <laughs> Very soon, in fact. He gets Eve's info, that's the roommate, from Jody, which is weird because I don't know why he would know about Eve. It's Brendan. Right? <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> and calls her for Michael's information and a pick. So he tracks Michael down in New York City, and he catches him on his way to work. He threatens him if he won't talk and gets him to print off all the email exchanges between him and the writer. What kind of threat does he make? That he's going to beat him up. He's much bigger than Oh, okay. Than so he's like, makes a, a child, you know, school threat. And also that threat. he's going to... No, and also that he's going to put him up for stalking charges against Jamie. Okay. Well, then he can't, though. He's not involved. He has no uh, standing. Okay. Well, Michael didn't think it through, because he was like, okay, okay, I'll tell you everything I know. Is anyone in this book actually how the law works? Like, no. Janie doesn't get a restraining order when she should. And Michael's, or Brendan's all like, oh, I, I have no standing in this case, but I'm going to sue anyway. <laughs> he just uses it in a threat and apparently it works. So there's Wild. nothing much of value in the emails as Michael could never get any real information except for that, you know, her school is being paid for the, by the grandma's trust. And so, like... I don't know, didn't think that weird that he didn't get paid in the, for the future stuff because apparently the writer said that he wasn't, like, he didn't have any information, so therefore he wasn't getting paid. Yeah, fine, sure. And so Brendan shows up at the writer's apartment saying he has an appointment with him, and the front desk is, um, you know, checks and is like, nope, don't have an file for anything, and he insists that they must be wrong, and they end up checking with Calvin, whatever his last name was. <laughs> so Calvin is like, <laughs> Is like, no, I don't have an appointment with this dude. And Brendan's like, hey, I'm Janie Johnson's brother, the girl in the milk carton. So the man comes down to speak with him because he's like, well, that's getting weird. Yeah, you, you, you're you in for a beating, my friend. So Calvin tells him that he's not writing a book. Uh, he only uh... writes a book. <laughs> he's surprised to hear that somebody's using his name and he pretty much only writes about murders. So like he would never write about a kidnapping. It's completely not what his fans want from him. And he reads the emails and chapter bits and is offended that such a bad writer is trying to be him. <laughs> so then he should get like some kind of injunction against impersonation or identity theft. 
Right. So that's kind of where he wants to go with it. And he wants to get the FBI involved because it's potentially involved with a kidnapping situation. Like there could be more to it. Yeah. yeah. And Brendan worries that it, for some reason, maybe it really is his mom who hasn't really been against the book and has taken a creative writing class in the past. And so he, she's writing this book at, no, that's insane. He might, she might be. That's bonkers. <laughs> That's ridiculous. He just doesn't know why she would call it the happy kidnap because it's obviously brought her a lot of misery in life. You know what would really solve this? Talk to the mother. I know. why. I don't know why nobody calls her and says, hey, are you writing this book? <laughs> I need to know because we're about to make some legal moves. And if you're involved, we have to know that. And she would you know, clear right up. Yeah, she'd probably tell you. Yeah. So Calvin wants to pursue it, like I said, take it to the FBI and, and kind of figure out what he can do to Good. get Calvin, get the most stopped. reasonable person in this Absolutely, movie. Absolutely, because you book. don't know anything about him. Yep. Yeah, that's he, as usual. <laughs> but he doubts it would be high priority. And Brendan asks him to wait a week so that Janie can get through her wedding, which is fast approaching because he doesn't want it to be like a huge Or, or maybe get this deal. nipped in the bud before the wedding. Well... He doesn't want to ruin the wedding. I feel like someone's going to ruin the wedding anyway, Daniel. <laughs> and he also thinks that he might contact his own FBI agent because they've had somebody assigned to their case for years and years. What about Liz the lawyer? Uh, or yes, contact Liz the lawyer, but no. She's apparently she deep involved in everything. <laughs> and so he's kind of like going back through the list of people he could think of that might be involved with it over and over again. And he finally lands on maybe Hannah's somehow involved in all of this. Oh, you think? Yeah. The 13th puzzle piece, Sam. Lucky number lucky number 13. Hannah is paying close attention to Facebook and is proceeding with some kind of plan. We don't know what it is, ask the readers, but she's concocted that falls in line with the wedding date, perhaps. And she yeah, notes- I knew there's going to be some drama around the wedding date. <laughs> she notes that Adair mentions at one point that Janie's dad may not be able to make it and may remain at the care facility. And Michael had told her everything about the care facility in his original notes to her. So to she knew- Hannah? To Hannah, you find out uh-huh. that Hannah's somehow yeah. involved. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Hannah's the one person in Like we, I put that together. Fine. <laughs> so she knew that her dad was there now, that he wasn't like, you know, in his normal house functioning fully. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, it suggests that she may have potentially murdered someone with a knife who was like trying to blackmail her with... It's very confusing. (laughs) There's apparently when, um, what's her face? When Kathleen and Stephen were going around, where I said went to the three people's houses to like see if they were the Hannahs. Yeah, yes. So she, like, at one point, they uh, they showed pictures, and somebody, like, took one of the pictures and was like, no, I don't you know, think I know this person, but can I have the picture just in case or whatever? She kept the picture. Well, it turns out that person may have, like, blackmailed Hannah because she did actually know who Hannah was. And when she what went did- to blackmail her, it's, like, behind the scenes. This is just something that's happening that you what? didn't, like, get to read about. <laughs> so this really, in- this really interesting blackmail murder yes. is just left out of the book. Absolutely. <laughs> wild choice <laughs> and so apparently like she may have knifed her or like you don't quite know what's going on at this point but like there was a knife involved and it Is sounds a deadly <laughs> <laughs> it sounds also, bad i want to point out that none of these ostensibly smart people put together that the book that is a glowing rendition of <laughs> Hannah and paints everyone else terribly and is obviously fraudulent is not perhaps written by Hannah. To be fair, the only person who's so far, I think one other person at one point reads Steven. the couple of chapters. Yeah, yeah. No, it's not Steven. It's Brendan. And right. Brendan is like failed 
high school and reads like one book every three years. So he's not like the peak of of like understanding what books are about. Well, I didn't Kathleen get a peek at it when she was one thing. Like, didn't Stephen and Kathleen get a peek when they took the laptop or am I thinking they got too far? They did not read the book. They just saw the notes off of the book. I did I didn't know how long that far like never mind. And at one point Brendan does share because he got a copy of the couple chapters or whatever, he does share those with somebody, but I forget who and it wasn't really that important. Fair enough. So Hannah like I said, the bare minimum is either tortured or killed somebody with a knife or stabbed somebody with a knife. And she can't decide if she should go to the care facility or the wedding. Like, which would have the most fun at, I guess. Most fun? I don't know. That's kind of how she's thinking of it. Like, is she, she likes the Joker? Like, like, where can no, I cause the most chaos? No, seriously, that's kind of her vibe. It's just it's like, I'm making this great plan. Nobody's as smart as I am. They're never going to figure it out. They haven't figured out who I am thus far. Like, Ugh. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make the biggest splash. It's going to be so good. Like, whatever my crazy plan is that I have, this is going to, like, be awesome. Bonkers. She's really excited about this. And it should be said also, it's not really super relevant to the plot, but she has a completely distorted sense of self. Like, she thinks that she's super oh, hot, think? that she's, like, lost all this weight, that she looks really great. She's, like, fixed all the stuff about her, like, and she just, like, looks her... She's, like, peak I didn't realize Hannah. she was a narcissist from all this. <laughs> but she's not. She's, like, a middle-aged, yeah. overweight woman who, like, is not attractive anymore by societal standards. <laughs> But she thinks she's like the best thing ever. Okay. Well, I mean, fine. She's got, she's delusional. We knew that. So meanwhile, Kathleen has gone behind Steven's back and told her FBI agent dad everything that's going on. Kathleen's the worst. It's fine. It turns out good information. No, it shouldn't be. I would still be like, you, but I don't care if it turned out the ends or justify the means. No, I agree. But it turns out that they, uh, the FBI thinks that all the info they gathered was written by Hannah. Oh, somebody without. Somebody actually with a brain, which is fine. The dad FBI agent. Right. She she thinks that basically the FBI profiler has been like, she thinks that she's smarter than anyone else. And since Brendan and Sarah Charlotte also called and Kathleen called, they're taking it like super seriously. Like obviously something's going on because there's multiple people They all people called in the, the same FBI agent? Uh, no, same. I think Brendan and Sarah Charlotte both called. Brendan probably called his FBI agent that was stationed with them sure. for the thing. And then I think Sarah Charlotte called whoever was working with the other but family. Kathleen's father retired, so he should not be privy to any of this? Yeah, I guess he got a lot of contacts. This is what happened last That's, time. Remember, we I had know, the same conversation. It doesn't make any more sense now than it did then, Danielle. <laughs> Agreed. However, he's just a piece of it. Great. So Brendan tells his family everything that they find out, but they refuse to cancel the wedding. JD does not know, neither does Reeve. Why are you keeping her in the dark? I don't know. But it, like they want her to have her dream wedding. Like They don't want her to be affected by this. And Until it's a big surprise and destroys her wedding. Yeah, basically like they don't want Hannah ruining anything else. So they're just going to continue on. Like Nothing's wrong, so everybody's like right. keeping it under yeah. wraps. Rather than preparing Janie, Jennifer, for... The possibly the worst. They're just like, well, just let it happen to her and hope nothing happens. Well, at the wedding, the family friend cop is there and there's a bunch of like, basically a lot of FBI agents and police undercover as ushers and like staff and all that Wild. kind of stuff. Yeah. Wild. <laughs> While this wedding's going on. <laughs> if I was Jennifer and I learned that you had like secretly stalked my wedding with a bunch of undercover agents without my consent, I would be livid. Well, she's not, so don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> you should be, dang it. Um, so the family friend that's uh, that's there, the cop, he fills Brendan in um, when Brendan's like, dude, why are you here? And apparently the lady Hannah knifed 
was uh, unconscious for quite a while. She finally woke up. So she's not dead. No murder. She's not dead. But yeah, very assaulted. And she woke up enough to tell the cops who knifed her. So she knew, for some reason, knew Hannah's secret. So She'd worked with her or something. It was a little unclear. Well, I'm glad she's okay, I guess. Yes. The cops uh, locally there, they tracked Hannah down to her apartment, and the last thing that was on her computer was a printout to the church, like a map. So they assume that she's on her way there. So they've increased security, like I said, acting as guests, and so far, Janie and Reeve don't seem to know. But... While all but. this is happening, Janie ends up seeing Agent Mollison, who was the agent that she she worked with or the other family worked with or whatever. One of the agents that was involved from the FBI, who she had talked to about the kidnapping originally. And she thinks that's she's like, huh, <laughs> like, why yeah. is he here as an usher? Suspicious. <laughs> I like that they pick somebody she knows. <laughs> like, these are, are these terrible FBI agents like let's put the recognizable one and put that in the cloud. <laughs> So they're confiscating all the cells, basically turning, asking him to turn it off for the wedding. And Janie, right before she turns her, right before she walks, basically, it's like in the first, like the 10 minutes prior to her supposed to be walking up the aisle, she gets a phone call and they're like giving her a hard time about it. But she takes the phone call because it's a call from the care facility. And they had decided it previously, you see that they had decided to take the Originally, they were not going to take the father with them, but they decided to take the father with them. They were afraid that he'd have a hard time traveling, but they worked it out. So So everyone's there at the wedding. Everybody's at the wedding, but Hannah doesn't know that. I know. I mean, so she went to the care facility, it sounds like. She chose poorly. (laughs) Well, she made many poor choices, it sounds like. (laughs) So she answers the phone call, like I said, from the care facility, and it's the front desk person telling her that someone just showed up saying that she was the daughter of... Frank, I think his name is. And the front desk person thought that was odd because she'd never heard of them having another kid. And since their wedding was so publicized, she was worried that it was like a thief or something suspicious was going on because a lot of people would know okay. that they Very were Very easy to say, keep her there and call the police and done. Donezo. Yes. The receptionist snaps a picture and sends it to her. It is Hannah. No ah! duh. And oh, she, I'm so surprised. I'm so surprised. Oh. And she tells the receptionist to call the police. And then she hands the phone off to the agent who's undercover is like, tells the receptionist, tell this guy what you just told me. Because she figured it out it was undercover. Like, they're pretty <laughs> Because obvious. it was the FBI guy that she knew. <laughs> yeah. Like, why are they so terrible being undercover? I don't know. But she hands off the phone and she's like, let's get this wedding on. It's time to walk. And so you get uh, cut scenes between the wedding happening and Hannah getting arrested, who's like digging through her dad's room, pulling everything out. And is like, it's all mine anyway. I deserve all the money. <laughs> they, they owe me. <laughs> so she gets arrested in her dad's room. The wedding goes on. They say their vows. Everyone cheers. And Janie takes her vows as Jenny. And they live happily ever after. The end. I hate it. <laughs> I absolutely hate it. Hilarious. <laughs> I feel like most of that plot goes nowhere. Oh, Sam, I cut out like half of the wedding planning. It was so long. But like also the whole convoluted, oh, I'm going to fake being a writer thing. Like that's that that doesn't do anything. Like, uh, I, I don't feel like we understand Hannah any better. I don't feel like her comeuppance is given necessarily. It just feels so unnecessarily convoluted. And I think it's weird that she ended up going to the care facility instead yeah. of the wedding. Like, not that I want the wedding to be ruining, but it would have been a more interesting story if she say. had confrontation with the actual family she liked. It would have been way more interesting if she had, like, showed up at the wedding and 
you know, maybe if she had been portrayed as more sympathetic throughout the book and she showed up for the wedding and had some kind of interaction with Jennifer, that would have led to some actual closure or emotional resonance or something. Nope, none of that. Okay, well. <laughs> I also can't believe we didn't stick with Jennifer earlier on in the series. <laughs> I mean, we didn't think of calling her Jennifer. Yeah, like, why was that not obvious from the first book? <laughs> I know it's Jenny, but it's still, like, Jen- probably Jennifer. It's Jane. Her name is Janie. I know, but the other name is Jenny, so Jennifer makes perfect sense. <laughs> I mean, does it really? <laughs> yeah, because Jennifer mixed with Jane. Sure, sure, sure. Okay, perfect. I guess, you know, sometimes the best ideas just come to you when they're ready. Okay. Anyway, yes, that would have much more emotional resonance. I am just perplexed at, at like... This book feels like it wants to do a Star Wars and make everything black or white, good or evil, you know, like Hannah, evil, Janie, good, Reeve, evil, but pretending to be good. (laughs) And that like, uh, somewhere in that book, maybe he finally tells her I like skimmed through the uh, the second quarter of that book. All this unresolved, like lying and like Brandon doesn't really seem to learn any lessons. And Brandon does have a nice little like, I wouldn't say a turnaround, but I skipped some, I skipped a lot of the arcs okay, because, fine, sure. you know. <laughs> but Reeve still keeping secrets. The tape is still out there. Like that's going to blow up in their face. Yeah. I don't know if he told her that because I did not read that. But again, skimming that second half. <laughs> fair. I mean, that's fair. It was almost, it was like a 350 something page book, which I know is not that many pages, but the other book. Books, but like for this story, it is. Cart- mil- yeah, Face on the Milk Carton was like 165 pages. So by like, I was like, oh my god, this is like a five hour book. <laughs> this book goes on forever. <laughs> Wild. I don't know. Like, I just don't think this book was necessary. I'll be honest. And like, also, what is she face to face with? She never faces her mother. Like, there's no face facing. No, I think she's facing herself. Like, she decides that by she's like gonna returning become... to Reeve and like never growing as an individual. No, by becoming Jenny Spring. That's a big part of the like arc for oh. her in this book is that she accepts that she's she gives up her Connecticut family pretty hardcore and decides she's going to be the New Jersey kid. <laughs> Also, it doesn't really speak very good of Jennifer that she gives up her connected family as soon as they become, like, you know, not healthy and not rich. It's wild to me that, like, there's no happy medium there. Yeah. Like, it's okay to, like, obviously you'd want to potentially spend more time with your New Jersey family because they're new to you and you've got to establish those relationships and... You don't have to, like, just cut out your Connecticut family. Right. But she does. She kind of, like, she's still, like, relatively close to them, but she definitely kind of puts them on the back burner. It's like, well, you're not my real family anymore. And I was like, they did raise you for, like, 16 years. <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> like, it's okay to have two families. Lots of people have two families and manage to, like, keep good non-traditional families. And I use like, the word non-traditional in big old quotes, but, like, it's totally fine. <laughs> yeah, bizarre to me. She makes it sound so complicated, and I'm like, it's not that complicated to have two families. It's just not. This is so wild. It can right, be, well, but, like, it doesn't have maybe- to be as complicated as she made it. <laughs> Maybe androids just don't really understand how family <laughs> units work. Yeah, it's just a while to me. I don't. That was the most perplexing part to me is like why she made it so complicated to have two two families in her life. I get that was a lot of drama, but you feel like you'd settle into it eventually. Also, as is often the case in, in these stories we do, it was hard to sympathize with any of the characters. Yeah, I feel a little bad about that. Like even even Jennifer was like, 
not that sympathetic in many ways because they were trying to make things way too complicated and kind of being like cruel about their Connecticut parents. And you know what? I actually think I'm not sure she's the strongest character. Like she really struggles. Yep. And which is fine. Us- which is fine. But you usually in a book in particular or as a movie or whatever, you usually have like stronger characters than that who are capable of like figuring stuff out. Or like the struggle leads to growth. Like right. the struggle that- is what the character like overcomes the struggle to learn and become a better person. And I think that kind of happens to her. Like she does definitely. Im- I think the story focuses a lot on her embracing this other side of her. This like, you know. Sure. This Jenny that she never knew existed and has to become. But like she does that by giving up a lot of her original self, which I think is an interesting way to go about it and not how I personally would have gone about it. Yeah. <laughs> like you can do both things. You can arc in a less dramatic way. It's not either or. And she makes it seem very either or. Everything she does is very either or. To be fair, it's true to character. Yeah, I guess. It's again, just hard to like. If you don't understand the minds of a character, it's hard to empathize with them because they seem so alien to you. Yeah. I think it wasn't that I didn't understand her as a character. I definitely did. It's just nothing that I would have done. Well, that's what I mean. Like, you understand, like, the book was telling you what she was like, but it just seems like such a foreign idea that it seems alien to, like, think that anyone would think that way or be like that or wouldn't have some capacity for to resolving these things in a more middle ground. middle ground way. I'm a very middle ground person, so she clearly was not. And I think the parents didn't help that. And I think in that situation, like if I had had like two sets of parents that were really having a hard time coping with that and like kind of taking it out on me, like I could see where that would be very like wearing you down, but you have to learn to draw those boundaries. And she doesn't, like I would have learned how to draw those boundaries because that's just kind of how how I deal with things, but she does not deal with things that way. So it's interesting to like, I don't know, I did a lot of comparison stuff in my head about things I would do versus things she would do. Well, I guess that's a one good thing. I guess you really think that's a, that's a positive from the story, at least. Yeah, kind of interesting. Not that I was ever kidnapped or anything, so what do I know? <laughs> as far as I know. But I have two that separate, mean, I do have two separate families, you know, that I've had to like coexist with. Sure. I don't know. That's just wild. Anyway, weird stories weird characters i feel like everything was both tied up very neatly and also all the stuff that was interesting was left entirely unresolved yeah it's she's such an interesting writer i've never seen a writer tell so much instead of show stuff and everything's very passive the way she writes is very passive so it's like interesting to read because you're like you're not involved necessarily in what like is going on in the moment it all kind of sounds like it's sort of just just happening Mm -hmm. (laughs) i don't know how to explain it And Hannah is such a like unlikable, no, not a three dimensional character at all. She's like completely lost to her psychosis. Yeah, like I said, I don't know. Again, and the story and the plan is wild. Like, what is the plan? <laughs> to the thing, like, I think all the int- it feels like this book focuses so much on the on the mundane parts of this fantastical story and doesn't focus on the interesting or weird or fantastical parts. Yeah, I would agree with that. You get a lot of the like. Like you said, the the normal stuff, all this crazy stuff's going on in the background. Right. I want to know about the crazy stuff. <laughs> like, that's why Bring you're me the, the crazy. <laughs> so, yeah. Fascinating series, right. man. Well, there's your deep dive into the Janifer Chronicles. Yes. Janifer Chronicles. Face on the milk carton to Janie face to face. Janifer face-a-fer to face-a-fer. <laughs> <laughs> We take that back. We're sorry. <laughs> uh, I don't. You do not speak for me, Danielle. I, I apologize on Sam's behalf. 
<laughs> I reject that apology. I, I unapologize on my own behalf. <laughs> you can write him emails. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you want to write in support of J- Jennifer face to face to you can contact me at bookretorts.com. <laughs> Tweet Instagram or Facebook as at Book Retorts. Uh, if you want to help fund our own tell all book about our own wives, you can do so at patreon.com <laughs> slash book retorts. Is Absolutely. that way so we have the rights of it so nobody else can write it? Right, yeah. Once we get that out there, we get it copyrighted. <laughs> Boom, we're locked in like Disney. <laughs> That's how that works. Yeah, yeah. We'll own it for the next 250 billion years. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. All right. Well, there you go. I guess until next time, don't rush into a wedding with someone who you don't trust and isn't telling you everything. (laughs) Oh, rough. He probably does tell her and I missed it. Listeners, if he tells her and I just skipped it entirely because I was skimming through that back half. Correct the record. Tell us. We will correct the record in a future episode. It really sounded like he was going to tell her at some point because otherwise, what was the point of bringing it up? That's a question I ask myself about a lot of books, Danielle. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Well, until then, from Samifer and Daniela Fur. This has been Book Retorts. Bye. Take care, everybody. and Yellifer. Great names for great people. Terrible (laughs) names. They're like our evil twins. <laughs> they're, they're doppelganger names. Like, if we go into the mirror universe, it's going to be Samifer and Danielle doing an evil podcast about normal media. <laughs> and people listen to it because the whole world's evil. It's like the Nightmare Before yeah. Christmas version. And, everyone, and unlike us, they have like a massive audience. Like, this is so normal. We love it. <laughs> we love normal things. <laughs> Brilliant. Perfect. They're so well, normal. This story writes itself, Danielle. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>